Welcome to Scenes of Beauty, a platform that is here to empower you to embrace your most authentic self and celebrate your own version of beauty, whatever that might be. I'm Chloe and I'm making it my mission to help people find and live their truest selves. If you're enjoying listening to the podcast and taking things away from it, hit the follow and subscribe button, share with friends and on your socials. I'm at the very beginning of the Scenes of Beauty journey and it helps more than you know to grow the platform. Jill and Carleen are the hosts of my all-time favourite podcast, Breaking Beauty. They publish weekly episodes where they talk to different beauty founders and the best of the best in the industry. They also run a damn good series where they squash some of the BS that is out there in beauty in the aim to rid some of the overwhelm that you feel as consumers. I've listened to their podcast for years and have been obsessed with the insane guests that they have on the show and the interesting conversations that they have around beauty. Jill and Carleen both come from backgrounds in beauty journalism, working for magazines, so I was really keen to pick their brains about the reality of what happens behind the scenes and their views on how beauty is portrayed within the media and how it is and constantly is evolving. Here are their... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfect Manny 20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfect Manny 20 for 20% off your first system. Versions of beauty. Hi guys and welcome to the Scenes of Beauty podcast. Um, I'm really, really excited that you are joining me today because I have listened to your podcast for a really, really long time. And I was actually telling Carleen before we started recording that I've learned so much from you guys. And, and it was probably my first experience in beauty when I started listening. So I'm really, really glad that you kind of agreed to join me. Aww, thank you so much. It's our pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I'm here with Jill and Carleen from who are hosts um, of the Breaking Beauty podcast. And um, yeah, well, shall I let you guys introduce yourselves and tell everyone what you do? Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, go ahead, Carleen. Oh, sure. Well, I'm Carleen. So I'm Carleen Higgins, one of the hosts of Breaking Beauty podcast. And we're two former beauty editors who came from the magazine world 
turned beauty podcasters and we started our podcast five years ago. We have over 5 million total uh, downloads now. We've interviewed everyone from Makeup by Mario to Pillow Talk Derm to Victoria Beckham, um, the founder of MAC Cosmetics, Frank Toskin, and many, many more. And um, we really just parlayed all of the skills that we had um, editing and writing and building a story um, into the Audible space. And we were so uh, happy to be able to do that because, of course, and we're going to talk about this more in our episode today, but, you know, the magazine landscape has really changed and kind of declined. Um, So rather than scrapping it out as a freelancer, which, you know, we still do from time to time, we were able to build our own brand and be our own bosses and have our own messaging. And we just feel so privileged to have the listeners who we have who have been with us for this journey um, and be in their ears every single week. So, yeah, we love it. Thank you. Um, Jill, do you have anything to add? Yeah, well, I would just add that, you know, Carlene and I, we never worked together officially before. And how but how we became friends and friendly is we were beauty editors at magazines that were sort of under the same umbrella publishing house. And we worked across the hall from each other. But we would always bond and hang out on press trips because we were really beauty editors in the, the prime days of beauty press trips, I would say. So we bonded, you know, we were always doing these fun activities together. And you really get to know people. People when you travel, I think um, that's one thing I never expected in a career as a beauty editor. You do get so many incredible experiences. And that's where we got this face-to-face contact a lot of times with these amazing players and people and then inspiring founders in the beauty space. And um, that's when, you know, we were kind of like putting our heads together. I had been freelancing for quite some time when Carlene um, left the magazine world. And yeah, we were just putting our heads together going like, we know all these people, we know all these good stories. They, there really wasn't room for those great stories in the pages of magazines. You were always just focused on what's new, like, um, the latest launches and whatnot, what's trending. And we were like, these stories need space to breathe. They deserve that airtime. We think beauty lovers, lovers will enjoy hearing them. And so, yeah, that's kind of like the, how, you know, the meeting of the minds happened and we decided to create the show and just knowing that there was so much rich storytelling and beauty that could go way beyond what we were doing at magazines. And there weren't a lot of beauty podcasts at the time when we launched and we had the idea in 2016 and we officially launched in 2017. So we definitely, uh, I think had the right idea at the right time and yeah. And I definitely recommend, um, working with a co-host because we uh, have very different skill sets and we also I think work really well together and it's been a great great team effort yeah and um, I'm I kind of don't know where to start but firstly thank you because I think you know these conversations like you just said there Jill these conversations with founders and kind of quite big beauty influential voices in the space they allow us as consumers as listeners as people who kind of love and live and breathe beauty to get a deeper sense of connection for brands for products Mm -hmm. Uh as a whole I think um and it's interesting what you said there Carleen about uh, in fact Jill you mentioned it as well you know taking the world of media has changed and, and it was very you know magazine and print heavy Um, And we are now moving into a more kind of audio, social heavy space. And so 
it's really great that we yeah that we're, that you're able to to tell those stories in an audible format um what kind of talk us through that journey from you guys being in-house editors to you know being print heavy to then what is the difference or kind of the time scale or the storytelling from magazine print to social and podcasting mm-hmm. i i think the biggest one is um you know when we worked at magazines we we had a big team and we worked on in addition to like assigning and editing you know long form features we also jill and i both were involved in photo shoots which we obviously don't do anymore. So I've produced photo shoots with Charlotte Tilbury and like Harry Josh and people like that. And so we don't do that anymore. But I think part of our raison d'etre, if you will, is the editing that we do. And that's all about the fact that beauty is a massive industry and it's it's kind of churning out products constantly and there's so much marketing that it really does need to be edited for people because it's there's just a lot of crap out there. There's a lot of crappy ideas and there's a lot of crappy products and there's mm-hmm. a lot of misinformation. So what we try to do is edit down all of that for people to clearly understand and have reliable information that they can trust. And we also test every single product that we talk about on the show that's completely different from when we worked in the magazine world you know like when we kind of started with print and then we ended up in the digital space it started to turn into journalism it was like you need to be pumping out like eight stories a day on the website so it would be like okay 32 of the best setting sprays you know, that would be the headline. It's like 32. Like, how are they the best? You know, it was literally just rounding up everything you could find and put it, you know, putting it into this roundup. And that's completely the opposite of what we do now, where we test every single product before we talk about them. So it's much more time consuming. But, you know, we want to be able to stand behind every single product that we talk about. And when we interview founders, we really try to focus on breakthrough people and products and moments in beauty's history. So it's worthwhile listening. You know, when we interview a founder, it's like, how have they broken through and somehow that has not been done before? Why do people need to pay attention to this conversation? Um, Those are the conversations that we want to platform and the people who we want to profile. So we really take that lens when we're putting together our content. Um, So I would say that's the biggest difference from what we were doing before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And really being able to filter out that kind of BS that comes with a lot of beauty and what you see. And and even now, you know, you Google, I don't know, best foundation for dry skin and a a hundred different ones come up from a hundred different publications. And it is. Yeah. You get a list of every single one because they're like, if you buy from these affiliate links, then you know, you're going to buy one of these 32 foundations, right? And it's just not what we do. Yeah. Um, Just going right back to you guys and where beauty began for you, because I'm really keen to explore kind of your first experience with beauty and how the love of beauty kind of came from, where that came from. 
Yeah, for me, and I mean, I'm sure Carlene would agree, we've talked about this before, but like growing up, I just, I grew up in a small place, small town. And so I was just like drugstore girly, like give me the Vanilla Fields perfume, give me the Tresemme hairspray, give me the Pantene shampoo or the Revlon nail polish. Like that was me. And I didn't even know that I was missing anything because it was, I grew up in the nineties, like before the internet. So it is what it is, you know? And I, I voraciously read magazines though. I was obsessed when my, so that was like my window to the world when I would get a magazine and I could like read YM and all the crazy stories and, um, 17 and Vogue and whatever. Um, but then I think, and so I was just, I loved writing. I loved words and I was like, I really want to work in publishing And I actually took um, a publishing course post-graduate, like after I got my BA, and I was interning at a book publisher and at a magazine publisher. I was the first intern ever at Elle Canada, and I just would go on different days, and I was like practically falling asleep at the book publishing job because I was like, this is so boring. I was like, this is going to come out in five years. Like, what are we going to do between now and then? I was like, this is not really for me. Like, I love words, but it's too glacial the pace. Um, so yeah, and I was interning at magazines and it was just this exciting, glossy thing you could hold in your hands as a tangible product that you, you know, you poured your heart into this story, but it was like faster paced and just so much excitement. And there was always something new. And when I worked in magazines, I was, I didn't even know a beauty editor was a job. I kind of fell into it because I was an editorial assistant, but they always needed support in the beauty department, whether that was organizing products or they got busy with the deadline and they were like, here, you go to this L'Oreal event or you go do this or one time last minute I ended up going on like a press trip for the executive editor and I was like is this real life like what is happening (laughs) so I just kind of realized very quickly that a I they always needed support so I was willing yeah and you like just stepped up to the plate and that's where they needed the support and then I also realized very quickly that all the front pages I don't think I put it together before I actually worked in magazines. I knew beauty was important to the bottom line of publishing, but how important I didn't quite understand until I was working there. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, the first 50 pages of advertising is all beauty brands. And I was like, okay, that means that this job is important and it has stability within magazines. And we're working in a smaller media market. I'm like, if I can get in on this, I will have a job and whatever. And then, yeah, I just got hooked on all the stories and there's so many inspiring women who are like, you know, crushing it in beauty that also hooked me in as well as like beauty CEOs, beauty. There's just so many success stories of amazing women. And yeah, I just, that kind of was how I ended up being a beauty editor. It was a bit roundabout, but I haven't looked back since. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And it's, it's really cool when, you know, that story of reading Vogue or reading a magazine and then that journey from reading it to writing it is yeah yeah really great it's really nice to hear um mm-hmm. yeah it's mm-hmm. it's fun Carleen what's what's yours what's what's yeah I think that you know like a lot of young people I fell in love with beauty at a young age just through play it was another form of play you know to take I think it was like a white iridescent eyeshadow probably from Maybelline or CoverGirl that I started applying, but I didn't stop at my eyelids. I started using it on my cheeks and using it on my lips to see what would happen. I I think I created the original multiple just saying, but, um, (laughs) but you know, I, 
it was all about play and that that was truly just fun and all about joy and then as I started to get older in my in my 20s it was about the idea of transformation and how far can you go with these beauty tools to to look your version of the best you can look that that was like a challenge and that feeling of walking out of a salon and getting like the best bounciest blowout like still to this day I was just thinking about this the other day I I feel like I'm on top of the world when I'm walking out of that salon like it is a high you know and you get hooked on that you get hooked on that feeling and that confidence and that really made me fall in love with beauty but as a journalist I think what started to happen was getting deeper and deeper into this world and watching that concept of play and confidence get kind of manipulated to the point where it started to feel like a standard and unrealistic expectations and not including everyone that became an issue frankly in my career and something that we all started collectively questioning and that itself was very interesting to me because I realized how deep the topic of beauty truly went. You know, it was much further than surface and the types of stories that I was writing about in the beginning, which was like how to apply blue eyeshadow five different ways, you know, started evolving into how to apply it for all skin tones, started evolving into there aren't enough foundation shades started evolving into you know skin positivity and all of these deeper conversations and I think where we're at now and what I love about beauty is that it bonds people together and it's kind of you know if if you step back from like a business or industry point of view beauty has kind of become what sports is to men you know it's like it, it's a it's an area hey, I where like we, sports I like sports no I, and, and I'm talking in sort of <laughs> binaries but to be right if you just think about the size of the industry and how big it is and how many players there are and how many investors there are and how many people are involved and they're certainly not all women mm-hmm. anymore at all um but it is a place where we play out our kind of fantasies and escape and there are deeper conversations that happen within beauty as well um in the same ways that you see a player taking a knee you see you know brands that are stepping up in certain areas and I just find the whole thing fascinating and that's what's kept me really hooked for so many years yeah I I find it really fascinating I find the physiological connection with beauty and the emotional connection I, I, it yeah it blows my mind and 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 every single person that I have conversations with has a different reason and a different need and a different empathy mm. uh, when it comes to beauty um you said there about kind of as an editor as a journalist your storytelling started to change the more kind of aware you were of of emotional connection as an editor how much, um, or a journalist, a writer, how much autonomy do you have over kind of 
what you write about is it uh I guess that that changes as as you grow throughout your career but um is it uh we need to talk about five foundation shades or we need to talk about connection how how does that work well I think um it was very gradual over time and let's face it the media industry was very white in New York, in London, in Toronto for many years. Um, and I think once people of, it just, it just honestly wasn't even a conversation really in, you know, back when we started in like mid two thousands, it's like, it wasn't until they started to, I feel like diversify staffs, diversify the voices. And they're just like, but what about this? And what about this? And why aren't we talking about these types of skins like the and also um you know just being more inclusive of of people just for even the bottom line like there's a lot of beauty lovers and beauty consumers out there and I feel like it was it took the diversification of a lot of staffs as well as contributors to the magazine and even something as like having models of all skin tones in the photo shoots like that was something that was really important to me um and I think it just gradually we started like questioning more and more like Carlene was saying I don't know if you would add to that Carlene but I think um the diversity in the ranks yeah absolutely I mean I was just looking at a staff photo of uh magazine that we still have left here in Canada and my former mm-hmm. editor is the editor-in-chief there and it and like it's just a completely different picture it's so much more inclusive now and I think that's because you know editor-in-chiefs have realized that you know like I said at one point I was being assigned to write stories about you know how to do a high ponytail for all hair textures or how to you know how to do this for all skin tones and that's the right idea, but kind of the wrong person. Like I don't have just straight real talk. If I don't have, you know, African-American hair, I don't even have the right questions to ask because I didn't go to beauty school. So I don't have the lived experience. And I think that's where this uh, landscape has evolved is that, you know, magazines have realized that they really need to have people on staff to, have that lived experience and be able to ask the right questions, drive the right stories and be relevant to a, you know, diverse group of people. And I think we've seen that in a lot of markets, maybe not all markets, but mm-hmm. um, we've seen that shift happen. And um, I think for Jill and I on our podcast is we just try to bring people on the show who can, again, same ideas, like pass the mic you know, include more voices on the show so that because we understand now that we have our own biases and our own blinders in certain areas, and we can't tell all of these stories unless we invite the right people on the show. Yeah, and I think that's what's really nice about kind of the modern day, the storytelling, the media and how it works is that we have access to a lot more people a lot more efficiently and easily. And I think you know if you think about when I was growing up in the 90s it was all um you know perfected body images on the front of magazines and this is what you need to do to look this certain way and and we're definitely in a more kind of space stronger space of transparency I guess um when it Mm -hmm. comes to media but I guess like it would be interesting to hear your your stories from 
I don't know if we've already covered this actually, like kind of the route I want to go down is, you know, media was, it was that trajectory. This is what you need to do and this is what you should look like. But I guess there is still a bit of that, isn't there, with the whole Kardashian era and contouring and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, to a degree, but I still, I don't think you would have seen five years ago a a razor ad where, where the woman has hairy armpits or the fact that Emma Corrin is on the cover of Vogue this month and her hairy armpits are showing. Like, I think you would never have seen that. You would never have seen Lizzo on the cover of Vogue. I'm sorry. Like we had Amy O'Dell on our show. She wrote the Vogue, sorry. She wrote the biography for Anna Wintour. Great book, by the way, if you're looking for a summer read. And um, she was just talking um, at length in the book about how when Oprah was on the cover of Vogue in uh, the late 90s, straight up, Anna Wintour was like, well, you need to lose 20 pounds. So come back to me when you do. And that's the conversation. And there's no if, ands, or buts. And Oprah did it. And it ended up being like their best-selling cover of all time or something insane up in the top five um, just because of her presence and how dynamic she is. But like, why did she have to lose 20 pounds? It just seems crazy to that that was even a conversation, let alone it was executed upon and no one blinked an eye. So I think we are seeing an evolution, but it's, you know, it's slow and steady for sure. Yeah, and it is going back to that point of, you know, having accessible conversations like um, mm-hmm. that that open up a, a completely different kind of worms. Um, just moving on to your podcast. So, Carly, mm-hmm. you spoke to it a little bit, um, but you kind of, the premise of your podcast is kind of breakthrough people, products and moments. Um, and mm-hmm. so... You started that five years ago and that was kind of with a with an ethos to kind of rid of some of the bullshit that, that there is in beauty. Yeah. And I think something from my experience of working in industry is that constantly consumers are so overwhelmed. Um, so firstly, we'll talk about the podcast in a sec, but firstly, how how do you even go about ridding some of that overwhelm if you are a consumer of beauty and you're feeling, you know, completely lost and don't know where to go or you want to try a new foundation and you've got no clue, like where, where does one begin? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always tough. And actually we, we kind of, we launched like a hall of fame because part of what we do, our podcast has evolved. So what we started doing was, um, we launched with founder episodes and that's all we did. We, we were like, we're going to be how I built this for beauty because we thought, just as you said, if people are overwhelmed, we want to focus on the iconic beauty products and they can get an introduction to the brand. They'll understand what they stand for. So if part of what they shop um, for is based on an ethos that they want to, they either agree with or they don't, they'll get a profile into the founder and we always focus on the best-selling breakthrough product so that they would understand the backstory and why this product became kind of like beauty famous. And so that's how we started and that's all we did. And in fact, when we started, we were a monthly, if you can believe that. Um, and then we started evolving. You know, we were like, okay, if Makeup by Mario comes into town and at the time he didn't have his own line, we were like, what are we not going to talk to him? I mean, he's huge. So we were like, okay, we're going to start talking to the Breakthrough Minds who he basically, I mean, he didn't invent contour, but he made it 
again, beauty famous. Like so we're like, yes, era we're defining yeah. for sure. And then what we started doing was creating what we call our damn goods episodes, which are basically Jill and I review the products that we that we love and we share those with the world. And those have become the most popular episodes. So we've evolved and we we're now a weekly show and we do our damn goods monthly. And that's because we have to cater to our audience. That's what people want. We got to give the people what they what they want. So, um, you know, like I said, we test and vet every product that we talk about. So I think that that's helpful that, you know, we're not just talking about products in an obscure and abstract way. Um, we try to share like what we love about them and hopefully that can help people. So at the end of the day, we're still about helping people edit down their makeup bag to just what's really damn good. Um, Mm -hmm. but again, we don't have, um, every hair texture on the map. We don't have every skin type on the map. So I think that's why it's still really helpful when we bring on our experts that they can give tips and they do their recommendations. And sometimes we have guest hosts who help us with those damn goods episodes, whether it's a pro makeup artist or whatnot, because again, we need to fill in those gaps and make sure we're including people the best that we can, you know, as two white women in our 40s with combination yeah, and I think, sensitive skin. I think that's uh I think that's also a key learning just coming from the media world, right? Like you just you were working under a brand and you didn't really have you you had credibility of course and you, you were so focused on the content and making great stories and making them all hang together with the right words and the right pictures and everything. But was I testing every single Rimmel concealer that came through the door? Probably no. not as much, right? And now I think that's also something that we've learned along the way is like people really, we built this trust with our audience, with our podcast audience and our names are on, our names are on the show and we need to stand legitimately behind something. And we talk about stuff we don't like too. I think that's equally important, but we're always packaging it in in ways that um, we would in a magazine story where we would, you know, be like, these are the top trends of the season. This is what we try to help get the look, or this didn't really hit the mark, or we're always kind of like putting stuff into context around product as well. It's not just like, absolutely. I love it. It's amazing. Like we really try not to do that. I mean, I do that sometimes, but, uh, we try not to, sometimes I get carried away and I am legit that excited, but, um, I do think that it can be yeah, I think it, it was a key learning for us. Like we actually had someone who worked at a podcasting company in Boston very early in our tenure of doing our show because we really did not put ourselves in the show at all because that's our, your training as a journalist, right? It's not about your voice. You're crafting the questions, you're crafting the story so other people can sort of shine and you can tell their story in the best way. But this woman was like, you guys need to be talking more. You have so much knowledge. Like don't be afraid to sort of share that on the mic. And I think that's just like a good life lesson too, you know, um, where we really were like, oh, we kind of, she kind of just gave us permission to do that <laughs> and we didn't even know we needed it. Um, but I think it's, it's been a journey because we really were all about showcasing other people and shining a light on the best selling products. And now we've been more comfortable, I think, expressing ourselves and our personal opinions. And that's really what keeps people coming back week after week, I think. Yeah, and I am, um, and and as a listener, you know, it is good to um, 
it you do keep it real and you say when you know like you said there Jill you say when you don't necessarily like a product or a product isn't mm-hmm. for you but it's for someone else what I mm-hmm. also think is interesting about kind of going from founder podcast to uh, damn good episodes is it's quite clear that you have the trust of the brand founders you're talking to huge huge brands and huge huge names and if they trust you then as a listener it's way more easier to trust your advice and your opinion um when it comes to products and which brands you like and stuff because you've got you know you've got years of experience but you've also got Mm -hmm. this voice and and this kind of uniqueness that um that it's hard to find in in a in a industry that's so overcrowded and saturated you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've been really proud of just how much time these people give us, right? Like we back in our magazine days, if you had like a really high profile person in town, like sometimes you get 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And we're so grateful that so many of these um, amazing, very busy people will sit down with us for a 60 minute interview and take the time to tell us their story. And, um, and uh, we love that we eat it, we eat it up. You know, there's lots of people we're so pumped to talk to still are. Yeah, I bet. What has been, I can't ask you what your favorite episode has been, or I guess I could, but what is the most, you've met some bloody icons, like what's <laughs> been your favorite episode and why? Hmm. You know, I, I just have a soft spot in my heart for Frank Toskin, who's one of the co-founders of Mac Cosmetics. Um, when we did that interview, I think, first of all, he's not with the company anymore. So he wasn't easy to get. And Jill had to do some sleuthing, which she's really good at to try to find somebody in our circle to get us this interview. And, you know, he is based in Toronto. So we were able to go literally to his condo and sit on his couch with his dogs, like chilling around us as we interviewed him. And um, again, it's just being uh I guess a Gen Xer like Mac is just so close to my heart personally and always will be from my own nostalgia using like a spice lip liner or a twig lipstick to just what they have done like first of all with Viva Glam and Frank shared that story with us about how he came to that idea which was a really good friend of his had passed away from AIDS and um yeah HIV AIDS and he that was really the spark of creating this product that you know 100% of sales go back to um to AIDS uh, organizations or HIV organizations life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You would say now. And I think, you know, 
when you really d- dig into it and the way that we talk to him, Mac was the impetus for every single indie brand that exists now that attempts to be inclusive in every which way and form. It all stemmed from Mac. They really are standing on Mac's shoulders. And um, just the fact that they are Canadian, I don't know. I think it just makes Jill and I so proud. And I'll just never forget that interview. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And and you're right, you know, everyone everyone has had a Mac moment. Um mm-hmm. exactly. Mac moments. Um yeah. Yeah, again, just speaking of speaking of beauty brand like beauty brands that bond people, Mac is definitely top of the list. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there's been so many big names like that, but often I find um there's just people you end up having a spark with and you just kind of get on with. And even if you've never met them before and often just end up having a bit of a laugh and having fun. Like for me, one of those recently was Clayton Hawkins. He's the hairstylist for um, Olivia Rodrigo. And like, I literally was muting my mic. I was laughing so much during that interview. He was so jokes, like a joke a minute. And then also um, a lot of the pod swaps that we've done, I really enjoyed as well, where we've been on other people's shows. And um, one that comes to mind recently, or it wasn't that recent, but somebody asked us recently if we would do a swap with them. And I have, I was like, we already did, is with uh, the Welsh brothers, um, James and I'm blank, Robert. And that one, we talked all about celebrity beauty brands. And it was so funny and just a great lighthearted chat. Like I think sometimes you can get like really bogged down in like the seriousness of beauty standards. And there is so many serious conversations to have, but beauty also can be really fun and funny. And I think we need that in the world right now. So those uh, warm my heart as well as all of these iconic founders we've had on the show. And Victoria Beckham, speaking of being fun and funny, she was amazing on our show I everybody thought she was going to be this like ice queen that she's portrayed in the media she had so many great personal anecdotes she laughed she talked about Mother's Day gifts and I just really appreciate that um that and that's the beauty of podcasts we can have these uh you know personalities come to life on podcasts and that's what you really don't get that spark in in a magazine page right or in print yeah, and I think just going back to our point we made about humanizing brands, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, Victoria Beckham, it's we do all have this perception of her that she's an ice queen or she's untouchable. Yeah. Yeah, how far can she be? How is she involved in this brand? Because it's just her name, and 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 then we listen to her, and, and you tell you can tell instantly from the episode that she is the brand. You know, she she. Yeah. It's her heart and soul and it's... uh... And I think... Yeah. And I think people, someone like her, she is probably more media shy, but a podcast is the perfect medium for her because she's not on video. She doesn't have to worry about that. She's not on film. No one's, you know, snapping photos of her while she's at an event or talking to us. It's just all very... It feels like a safe space, I think. And Mm -hmm. so um, that that was memorable for me as well. Yeah, that's really cool. If you listened to the Lunar Daily episode a few weeks back, you'll know that Katie kindly gave the Scenes of Beauty listeners 20% off all products on their website with code SCENES20. That's S-C-E-N-E-S 20. So go over to their website at www.lunar-daily.com to get 20% off your Lunar Daily products now. 
got some questions for you because you guys are kind of beauty OGs, so can't not pick your brains about kind of um, beauty. Um, so I'll just fire some at you. Um, what is the best piece of beauty advice you have ever received? Mm. There's so much. I'll start. I would say, I would say, keep it simple. You know, um, like there are, again, there are a million products out there that you can be using, but, and I still know, like I have a really close friend of mine who doesn't moisturize, you know what I mean? So just like wash your face, wash your damn face, moisturize and sunscreen. Like those are three things that everybody can do. And, um, I also think you can overdo it. And it's funny because we're talking about beauty editors and media. Every beauty editor I know when at some point having the keys to the beauty closet has completely mucked up their face because they've just (laughs) overdone it. It's like giving a child keys to, you know, the, the movie snack cupboard. Like they just overdo it and feel sick. And so I think that's just kind of like a metaphor in general is that you can overdo it. So just keep it simple, at least as you said, to start and go from there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Jill, do you have a really good piece of advice that you've received? Um, I wouldn't say it's like, uh, you know, it's not philosophical, but honestly, since um, Lucky Bromhead, she was on our shows. She's the makeup artist behind a lot of the Shits Creeks, um, Shits Creek stars like uh, Catherine O'Hara and Annie Murphy. She was talking about tubing mascara and how she uses it on set because it just like holds up all the time. And at the time she talked about it, I had, I had kind of forgotten about tubing mascaras or just just didn't use it a lot. And now I pretty much exclusively use tubing mascaras because they just don't move. And that was also um, key for me during the pandemic because I, I was finding all of the masks that I was wearing and I still wear on occasion. And when the situation calls for it, um, it was like creating almost like steam, like when you're breathing and it's like, it was like steaming my mascara off. So now I pretty much exclusively use tubing mascara. She recommended the L'Oreal double extend one. I actually don't use that. I use an hourglass unlocked one. Um, and I buy that, you know, I get a lot of mascaras for, uh, gratis, which is a part of the, part of the gig, but I definitely buy that one. I really love it. So that's a little takeaway tip. And I would add to that because we recently did an episode with the makeup artist, Kieran Batty. Mm-hmm. And um, I always like I have hooded eyelids. So I get a lot of transfer from mascaras and liquid eyeliner. And um, one tip she gave me that is just so simple. And I was like, why did I never did this never occur to me is don't use um, eye creams during the day, use them at night. And I was like, oh, my God, duh, why do I use like I literally was using eye cream in the day and not at night. Why? I don't know. It was just my routine. <laughs> and I was like, that makes so much sense. It's way too emollient. So I was like, so no, she, I need is to t- switch that out. It's so a the tip eye to prevent cream, transfer. Yeah. Yeah. So the eye cream goes on at night, not in the day. You don't want that heavy of an emollient product on your eyes because uh, obviously that's going to lend itself to transfer. Is that the same with primer then? Do you put primer on your eyelids still? Yes, you would want to put primer because that that's all about, you know, having your um your your foundation stay put. 
but you don't want uh, eye cream. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I'll take that one because the same happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> what is, have you ever received a really crappy piece of beauty advice? I mean, I'm guessing you have, but I would love mm-hmm. to hear. Oh, people that always talk about how you don't need SPF because it's um, screwing up your vitamin D or people that talk about coconut oil being an, a proper, you know, SPF or DIY SPF at home. And like, we have had some guests that have suggested things along those lines. And I'm always just like, no, no girl, no, immediately. No, immediately. No. Um, and I just, I feel like that gets perpetuated so much and it literally makes me want to flip a table. It's just so infuriating. All of the kind of fear mongering that happens in the clean space. I think we're moving away from that a bit now, but I think there was just a lot of stuff and advice out there that made people feel really bad about themselves and sort of shamed them into thinking they had to use certain products to be doing right by them or by, you know, their lifestyle or whatever. And I just don't think that's the case. Well, it's also just, just, just real talk. Mm -hmm. Like for somebody like myself, because I have flare ups, I, I had a really bad face flare up yesterday and I still haven't gotten to the bottom of what it's about, but the whole idea that clean beauty is like healthier than Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the alternative would be. I guess you'd say like synthetic skincare, but it's just, it, it, it's just like, I, you know, for myself, the last thing in my situation that I would want to be doing is putting things that have essential oils on it on my face. So I'm really leaning into like French pharmacy and dermatologist backed skincare, like La Roche-Posay, and then those brands that are not considered quote unquote clean beauty. Um, and that, you know, the last thing I would be doing is using all this natural stuff right now with the kind of flare ups I'm getting. So I just think like, yeah, take all that with a grain of salt for sure. Yeah. Just to your point now, I think, um, I think skincare is so personal to you and your like our skin, um, my skin is really oily at the minute. I've never in my life had oily skin, so it changes constantly. So I think one, it's a one size doesn't fit all approach because it's just not the case and your skin changes all the time so it is whatever works for you right mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. you can take someone's advice for for days and forever but it is essentially what works on your face right mm-hmm. absolutely and i just think i just think tiktok unfortunately really lends itself to these extreme opinions that are not necessarily grounded in fact but they go all around the world before anybody is able to like fact check them and that's such a difference between like where we came from right like I was, I started out doing so much fact checking. I'm a fact checking nerd. And when I see these bits of advice just get shared for shock value, for views, whatever, it is really dis- disheartening um, to see that happen. But the more extreme your views are, the uh, crazier the look is you do or whatever, or the more layers of foundation you put on your face, you are going to get more views that the algorithm sort of rewards that. So I have you know, it's this like self-fulfilling prophecy, um, which is, I think, quite problematic for like sharing beauty advice online, especially when you when it comes to like Gen Z, that's like primarily on TikTok, right? Yeah, I'd, um, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this, actually. So I did a lot of research into where beauty came from. I've this as a probably like shut up because I spoke about this so much. But um, I did a lot of research into where like lipstick, how it came about and 
who made the first foundation and why and that kind of thing and so beauty actually came from beauty in terms of skincare and makeup actually came mm-hmm. from quite a simplistic idea um mm-hmm. and then in you might have a different opinion but in like 80s 90s it, it was getting bigger and it was getting more flamboyant and more colorful but especially when I was growing up there wasn't I don't think I used a primer till I was 20 something and contour obviously wasn't a thing and it's it got so so complex um and I think there are a lot of tools out there that are busting myths and you know like your your podcast for example gets rid of a lot of the shit but there's there's still loads out there so I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on kind of where beauty came from in that context of it being quite a simple um maybe naive thing um to then like this whole jumble of complexity I guess that it kind of is you know yeah I think there was like a lot of rules around beauty in the early like the 70s 80s 80s 90s and frankly it came from magazines it was like 20 this is your one page would be like this is a look for your 20s the next page this is a look for your 30s the next page this is a look for your 40s and if you're 50 and older well you're screwed you know and like there's no looks for you sorry um and even like the paint by numbers how makeup was sold like in drugstores which is primarily how most people bought it it's like the Almay one two three or the Clinique was at department stores one two three like they were really brands and um were really trying to like educate that way there was no there was no Mac counter to go to, to be like, how do I apply this yellow eyeliner to like even know how to do that? And I think with the rise of Sephora and all of the rise of the DTC brands, the direct to consumer, there's like just fewer barriers to entry to get in the game and you can get in the game and get a cult favorite product. Um, like that for Sally skincare, that unicorn serum that went crazy on Instagram a few years ago. Like I just saw that's making a comeback, but yeah, I think there was a lot of room for innovation, whether or not it was, um, necessary. I don't know, but I think all the rules were busted open with social media and you could, you could get education on there, but you could also just see a girl put on, you know, 10 steps skincare or, uh, spend 90 minutes doing her foundation. And we just didn't have that before. Everything else was five minute face or these are the categories you slot into. You have green eyes, wear this eyeshadow. Like, so those rules are all gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think we start, you know, Jill and I were lucky enough to come up in our magazine days when there was truly innovation. You know, highlighters were brand new that didn't exist before. Like the birth of primers. Wow. Um, There truly was innovation and things Mm -hmm. these breakthrough products as we say that you know were kind of life-changing for people and in terms of solving problems I think where we're at now is it's just completely saturated it's completely peaked like there really is very little to no new innovation happening in beauty anymore like when I see these uh, basically like machines where you're mixing your own lipstick at home or skincare or whatever. It's like, we have peaked now, guys. It's like, you have your own mini factory on your vanity. <laughs> like it, it's over now. So I think where we're at now, it's two things. One is we're in a moment of rediscovery. So everything on TikTok, it's all about Gen Z and the young's 
learning things for the first time that we have always known. And we often interview makeup artists on our show. What do you think about this TikTok trend and under blushing and this and that? And they're like, this is not new. You know, they've been doing this since like the 1940s to starlets for the the silver screen or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just all being rediscovered by a new generation. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing. And that's why we're that's why beauty is still thriving, even though there are frankly, too many products. But the second thing, and this is where I think it is interesting, and where there are still stories to be told are that people are not just buying because it's a new innovation, because it's something that they even necessarily need. Like, for example, when we see all of these skincare brands, or makeup brands that are kind of like genderless, and they really speak to people who are trans, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or um, non-binary, you know, these products are the same products. They're just packaged in a different way and they're created by different people. Why is that important in beauty? You could say that it's not. But if you watch somebody who's really super young and and on a gender journey and might be struggling, this is an area where they can feel at home, mm-hmm. you know, and they can feel that judged, they're part yeah. of they can feel that they're part of a club um, that they don't, it's one place where they don't have to feel like they don't belong. And there's something really powerful about that. And young people are creating these brands to speak to other young people because they get it. And I think that's really powerful. And there is a place for that. And that's Mm. where I think when we see you know, beauty brands by indigenous people for indigenous people, there's an understanding. And again, when we think about those blinders, they, you know, they've come off. And I think that's really important. Um, And I think that's where we're at with beauty today. And remember, Carlene, when we spoke to Sharon Shooter, she's the founder of Amma Beauty, she spoke really eloquently about this, how beauty brands are um, so much different than like consumer packaged goods or they and why people are like you know why they can feel like they can rise up and boycott a certain brand if they're not aligning Mm -hmm. with their values like brands are like people in a way beauty brands are like people and you feel like you're close to them and you need to you want to identify with their ethos their values um, way more than any other industry I I believe I'm Mm -hmm. quoting her correctly right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that yeah. that's essentially what she said. And Sharon is such a thought leader in this space. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I definitely encourage people to go back into our archives and listen to mm-hmm. that episode to hear what she has to say in her own words, because she's such yeah. a powerful speaker and uh, also just a Badass she's such a she, yeah and and but she's an original thinker she's an yeah, original yes. thinker and I love that about Sharon um yeah so that's that's essentially what she talks about is the fact mm-hmm. that people perceive brands the way that they perceive people now and if they don't like what you stand for then they're just going to go and buy from somebody else yeah, yeah. I think um yeah, Gen Z have, have definitely found their voice when it comes to uh-huh. things like this. And this is why it's now so important that, that brands have a human element and that they connect on a on a different level than than maybe what they had to 10 years uh-huh. ago. It's quite a challenge for brands, actually, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. 
For sure. One um, one brand that we interviewed, a uh, brand founder recently, was um, the founder of Stila Cosmetics, um, Janine Lobel. Thank you, Janine Lobel. And she, you know, she launched a new line for Gen Z. Um, it's called Neen, N-E-E-N. And one thing that's really cool about that, and I give it to my own 11-year-old, is it's like a subscription card. And, you know, if you think about nostalgia, like you peel, you peel away almost like the way that we used to have the fragrance testers in magazines that you'd peel Mm -hmm. it away. And there's actual like makeup samples underneath. So it's a card and it has like five different um, makeup uh, samples underneath. And it has um, a QR code that you can scan. And when you scan it, there's like a two minute tutorial that shows you how to do all how to do that makeup look. Um, and it's very accessible. It's kind of like YouTube, but it's like faster. And it the person is just like, really friendly, and also more of an age that I think would appeal to Gen Z. And then if you like that makeup, then you can order it. So it solves the problem of how to try before you buy in a digital world. And so I guess that is one newer innovation that is worth Mm -hmm. throwing you know shining a light on and and that's we're always looking for those you know little bits of gold to highlight those stories and I do think that's very cool definitely and I I love this whole like second act we're seeing so many brand founders right coming to market with their next idea and their next innovation I do feel find that fascinating as well yeah it's um yeah, because I guess that they're they're bringing everything that they've they've learned, you know, and 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 still to be learned. But yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I love I love that I I did listen to the episode, um, and it's just a great new innovative way to shop beauty, isn't mm-hmm. it? There's a there's yeah, a people that struggle to shop beauty. So yeah, it is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, a few more questions. Um, what's your favorite OG brand? I love an OG brand. <laughs> go ahead Joe. what era do you think is OG <laughs> uh, that's what I'm curious about <laughs> I mean get, uh, as far back as you want my favorite brand uh-huh. is, is LMS like I just love it uh-huh. and it's not, not oldest yeah. brand I love it I'm such a millennial when it comes to brands but I yeah I love it you know what I LMS is so huge in the UK and it's not nearly as huge in North America. And so I'm always like, whenever I read your blogs and podcasts, I'm always seeing Elemis. What's your favorite product? Why do you love it? I have to know. Yeah. So the range that I love, I like dynamic resurfacing, but not for always. Um, they have a really gentle range, superfood, um, and they've got an oil. I love an oil. Um, but yeah, my favorite one, I have my facials by them. I just, it just works okay. for my face. But yeah, this, mm-hmm. the superfood oil is is great. Okay. Okay. I need to try this. Hit us up, PRs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have two different ones, I guess I would say, for OG brands. Well, skincare has to be Dermalogica just because it was one of the first brands, professional brands that I got hooked on as like a baby beauty editor. I still use the, some of their products to this day. The microfoliant is so iconic. Pre-cleanse, iconic. S- special cleansing gel. Can't be without it. Love all of those. And, um, you know, I feel like Hailey Bieber kind of took some inspo from Dermalogica packaging when she launched Road Beauty. Just saying. The gray and white. Um, and then let's give some love to Revlon. Please, please, somebody save them from bankruptcy because 
I wore Revlon lipstick all throughout high school. Wine with everything was the color that I wore. It was in this iconic green package. And I feel like Revlon Charlie, I wore that fragrance all the time. And Revlon um, Outrageous Shampoo. I was obsessed with those ads because it was all the supermodels in the 90s, the Claudia Schiffer blowout, the Naomi, or or, sorry, Cindy Cindy Crawford blowout. And uh, I can still smell that smell to this day, like in my mind. So um, those are those that's kind of like nostalgia for me, I guess. Um, And, you know, they were quite they were one of the first companies to be very diverse and inclusive with their faces with Halle Berry. And they had the first black woman in a cosmetics campaign in the 70s. So, um, you know, thoughts and prayers for Revlon. Hopefully they make it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my favorite OG brand, but you know, definitely not, I didn't know it when I was a kid and when I was younger, but Clay de Poe, Bote, um, which is a Japanese skincare brand owned by the parent company Shiseido. I think they've been around for a long, long time. And, um, I just love Clay de Poe. Like I'm always like, if I wasn't a beauty editor, that's what I would be using. I'm obsessed with their daily moisturizer emulsion with SPF and I love their I love a hydrating toner um so I would definitely use that every day and yeah it's just so good my favorite yeah and do you guys have beauty idols like who is your mine's Bobby Brown I am obsessed (laughs) Um, but yeah who who's your guys beauty idols hmm well, just from a pure like aesthetics point of view and how she's aging and just in general, I've always loved her as Christy Turlington. I just think she's so stunning. And I also love mm-hmm. everything she stands for. She's really big into um, helping maternal birth birth rates around the world. She has that Every Mother Counts organization that I believe she started. And um, I just to this day, I think she's so stunning and so beautiful. And um, I would also say, um, oh, my gosh. Any of the 90s supermodels, really, Naomi Campbell, Claudia Schiffer, Cindy Crawford, to me, Linda Evangelista, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's so exciting. Whenever I see vintage photos of them on Instagram, I just, I love it. It sparks so much joy for me because Mm -hmm. it was just so iconic. It really Mm -hmm. was that era. And I would say I have a bit of a split, but um, Pat McGrath will always be like my beauty idol. You know, I, again, just coming up in the beauty world as an editor, some of my fondest memories will always be going backstage at Fashion Week and interviewing her backstage. And just especially in the earlier days, she almost had a monopoly, I want to say. Like, you know, she didn't do every show, but in my mind, she just you could always trace the trends, like the biggest trends of the season back to Pat mm-hmm. McGrath. And I just think she is so iconic what she b- has brought to the beauty world long before she even started her own, you know, namesake brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think her influence was just absolutely far and wide. And, you know, a black woman who really held so much power, but also is such a quiet spirit because she's a true artist, you know? And I think that's um, the enigma that is Pat McGrath. Um, 
And then aside from Pat, um, I personally just love uh, Lisa Eldridge. Like I think Mm -hmm. she, I was never a big like YouTube follower and following tutorials and stuff, but I just think she's so accessible and I love her hand, you know, like how she applies makeup and both of those people are dream Mm -hmm. guests that we really want to have on the show and haven't been able to make it happen yet. So I'm putting them on the vision board. Good. That's such great answers. I love a beauty idol. Um, Okay. So the final question that I ask all guests on the show is what, I guess I'll plural it this time. What are your (laughs) versions of beauty? Go ahead, Carlene. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think that, I know this is going to sound cliche, but I do think that beauty is a journey in that you know, it's a relationship that you have with yourself and with the outer world. And it is, it evolves. And I think there's a natural progression where, you know, you start out and you're young and you're like comparing yourself to everyone. And you're just like, how can I make myself look my best? And it's really fun. And it's kind of extra. And then you kind of go on this path where, you know, you start getting older and, it's a different kind of relationship about just being really comfortable in your own skin and coming to a place where, yes, you still use makeup and you still get your hair done and all that, but it doesn't have this. I think if you can get to a place where it doesn't become a should and it doesn't become this rigid need um, and there is an acceptance and just like you can get into a nice flow with beauty. I think that the whole journey is is lovely and um, and something that every one of us experiences, whether you use makeup or not. It's it's really a conversation about self-image and coming into your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, I think the version of beauty is like I don't really relate at all. I I mean, I'm sure not, I'm not alone, but I do not relate to these images where you see people on Instagram or back in the day in magazines or Getty images where whatever with like people with cucumbers on their eyes and the whole idea of pampering around beauty. I really ugh, reject that notion. I don't like that because I feel like it, it makes it sound like it's this like dedicated time they have to like steal away to do something for like hours on end. I really feel like beauty and my version of beauty is like stealing those moments of joy, like just throughout the day as like little pick me ups. And I think a lot of people really leaned into that during the pandemic, whether it was like throwing on their favorite lipstick before a zoom call or a little bit of like say highlighter or whatever the case may be. I feel like it's, it's, um, those daily moments of joy. I really find that that's the version of beauty that I relate to. And it can spark joy. And Carlene mentioned it off the hop of our interview too. Like who doesn't relate to the feeling of stepping out of a salon and your hair is swinging and you just feel so good or having a fresh mani. Like today, I don't have one. This is three weeks grown out all morning. I was like looking for an appointment to just like get them done because it's one of the things, only things in beauty that, um, is a treatment or a service that we do for ourselves that we actually get to look at all the time and enjoy and that's something that I, I don't know. I just feel like that's, um, yeah, stealing those moments for yourself that make you feel good is more important than this whole old school notion of going way to the spa for seven days. Although maybe that wouldn't sound so bad. 
<laughs> you know, like the the deal is sort of like how the French do it. I just think is the best way where it's like it's not it's a non-negotiable for it's just a daily ritual and things that make you feel good, not because you have to, but because you want to. Um, and uh, but sometimes I do get mad at the whole patriarchy, like about how much time it takes for women to do all of these maintenance things. But for the most part, I'm on board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for those. Those were really lovely and completely different, which is which is kind of the point but yeah really good yeah. So thank you so much and thank you for the episode because it was really insightful and it was just good to pick your brains a little bit and um get some insider knowledge of, of what happens when you're a, when you're a journalist and an editor you know yeah absolutely well, thank you well, for thank having you. us on the show yeah this is great and we wish you all the best with the beauty podcast it's like so many more voices coming into the space and i love to see it and like you mentioned, everybody has a different story to tell and a different way of expressing it. And so I'm excited to see where your show goes next. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and leave us a review. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.